Before we get started with today's show, I wanted to remind you to check out the Mina Kimes show featuring Lenny, which is now out twice a week. Every Tuesday, Mina highlights the winners and losers from the weekend with Dominique Foxworth. Then later in the week, she's joined by different experts to preview the most intriguing games. That's the Mina Kimes show featuring Lenny. Listen where you are listening to this podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to The Right Time. My name is Bomani Jones. Thanks for listening wherever you get your podcast. Thanks for watching us on YouTube. Rate us, review us, give us five stars. You only give us four stars. I'm inclined to believe you are a hater. It is that time of week where we have a guest join us, coming to us live from the ringer. And I mean, I feel like you're just kind of everywhere, man. Wozni Lambray, what's going on, man? I'm good, man. I can't complain. Yeah, I, I have multiple jobs, but, you know, that's that's just the Haitian in me. <laughs> so the Haitian in you, I want to tell people about this off the top. And we're going to talk a little NFL, but then we're going to get around to talking to NBA um, a little bit later. And so I know Waz for a while, man. We catch up, you know, do count the dings, all that stuff. But in this internet world, you don't ever, like, actually know anybody's name. Like, you think you know it, but you don't know. I knew Waz. Okay, Waz is satisfactory. And then it's time to get you booked for the podcast. And I was like, huh. And then I go, like, okay, Waz the Lab Break. Is that his actual name or is that, like, a throw to a joke that I'm simply not getting? No, it is your actual name. I, like, I, I apologize on one level, but on the other, man, it's just what the game is these days. Yo, you know what's so funny? The last time... I had an internet name, and um, this is like around the time that I started messing with Jade and Amin and Ethan and Tom and and all of them. Uh, back when all of those guys were at ESPN, ironically, uh, my my internet name was Bobby Kennedy. <laughs> that, that's the last time I had an internet name. That was my name on the little uh. The webcast apparatus when you put in a screen name mm-hmm. and you so you could comment. So my comments would come up as Bobby Kennedy. That's what, <laughs> that's what they used to call me. <laughs> no, the thing I thought about with it was is like you are Haitian and a Haitian name. You could sound like you are the former prime minister of France or you could sound <laughs> like you from Haiti. It could go <laughs> yeah. either way. It can go either way. And, you know, related to, to that Bobby Kennedy, um, my middle name is Fitzgerald. And I and I remember when I was a kid, cause like my name, people used to just mess it up all day, every single Dang. day, which I'm sure you can relate to, Bo. And I remember I had to be like seven years old, and I asked my dad. I said, "Couldn't you just name me something like James?" And then I was <laughs> like, where, "Where did you get the Fitzgerald from?" And he was like, "I named you after my favorite president." I was like, who's that? JFK. <laughs> so yeah, I'm named after JFK, even though my dad moved to the United States of America in 1974, <laughs> which would have been 11 years after the guy got killed. So yeah, I, I was just like, how is this guy your favorite president? And you were in Haiti um, when he presidented. But you know, yeah, so so here we are. Well, also, who, who has a favorite president? Right? That, like, listen, like, it's not like he said, you, like, you are my favorite player on the Miami Dolphins. Like, that feels like <laughs> something that, be, first of all, ain't so, we ain't got but 46 presidents total. Some yeah. total. Yeah. I uh, that is a great question, Bo, but you know, 
we don't want to get political. Yes, yes, <laughs> ah, yes. It's a different. What the president of the United States means is something very different in every country in the world. That yes. is a that is a bit of an underrated thing. Like I'm trying to remember which one of those uh, former Yugoslav nations. They're really big into Bill Clinton over there. Like he he mattered a lot to what was going on with them geopolitically at the time. And I'm like, yeah. wow, something I would not have thought of. The war in Kosovo. I remember seeing that on TV. That that was like around the same time that he did that thing with that woman. Ah, yes. Yes. I was like that. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It was it was it was a thing. Um, but I want to have you all here because I've been on your pod and I listened to you and uh Ethan Strauss and Nate Jones talking about the Draymond thing, and it was a riveting conversation. And 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 I assure you, the only time in my life anybody has ever said on a broadcast it's kind of like the holocaust and actually <laughs> landed the play like if like and, and, and i and i don't know like maybe i'm giving people podcast advice that they can have i'm not really going to try it here right but if you want to make sure that people listen all the way to the end of a podcast start with it's kind of like the holocaust we'll get back to that you'll listen to every minute to see what happens when we get back to that and it was not only not offensive but very insightful. Uh, thank you. Thank you. You know what's so funny? Um, I realized, talking to Ethan, who is a Jewish guy, by the yes. way, um, just saying the word Holocaust makes people uncomfortable. Like, just mentioning that it happened, that events were inspired by it, uh, it makes people like, oh, where's, where's he going with this? Like, is he is he gonna like you know? There's so many ways you can go with that. Obviously, horrible event, but no, that 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 particular thing that I mentioned on on Ethan's show has stuck with me because it's so related to what we do here, um, and how we talk about stuff here. No matter what it is, literally, no matter what it is, um, that that. That thing that I talked about on Ethan's podcast, uh, that just stuck with me. Yeah, no, this is, you know, because you guys were talking a lot about media stuff. I get the feeling we're going to take a meandering tour in these 45 minutes, and that's okay. Yeah. They opted in. You know what I'm saying? That's kind of how this uh, how this podcast game goes. But I think you and I are in somewhat similar media situations in that we're not of this, but we're no. in it. And it sounds yeah. kind of weird for me to say that because I've been doing this job in various capacities for like 20 years. But there is kind of a machine, and those of us who came in more as new media kind of came in, and you eventually become a part of it, right? Like you don't yep. you don't get to be you don't get to say them about the media, but for so long. But it does give you kind of a clear eyed look at just kind of how the machine works and how we make all of this stuff. Um, I was having a talk yesterday with Rich Eisen, right, mm. and he and I were both talking about with the Draymond story the idea that the tape got out, right? That the video got out and people outside of the machine can't understand why that's such a big deal to us, <laughs> right? We are floored. We cannot believe that something like this ever happened, right? But it's a difference that comes in. And when you talk about media, there was a time where I would have come in and been like, why are you guys so worried about that sort of thing? Then I got in and I'm like, yo, can you believe somebody actually put that tape out? You know... <sighs> Okay, so just so people understand, right, like I didn't go to J school at Northeastern or Columbia and 
I didn't grow up thinking one day I'm going to be a broadcaster or some type of features writer or whatever. Like, I, I don't, I'm not of the world. So the norms and the mores of the media, they always feel new to me because honestly, it's not related to anything we do in the outside world, in the real world. Um, so there's that. And then <laughs> there's the part where we cover sports and the NBA specifically. And I'll give you an example of why that tape getting out matters. Anytime you talk to somebody who works at a team or might work at ESPN or is an agent, you can't ask them something that may potentially be sensitive in a text. You have to call them or they're going to send you a voice note back. Or like this is a this is a <laughs> way that they treat communication as proprietary, Terry. So, like, everything is sort of understood to be kind of a secret. Everything around the culture of the sport, of the industry, is considered privileged information. Which, again, I, I think I understood intuitively that, like, nobody wants to be screenshotted or nobody wants to be the person that was accused of leaking some sensitive information. But, like, it, it really comes in a sharp contrast when the Draymond thing happens because everybody understands that, like, the things that go on in the NBA can't be made public. <laughs> like, you, you, people can't know what players are like, what owners are like, what GMs are like, what agents are like, what staffers are like, what their relationships are like. Everything is kind of, there's just this understanding that people can't know how the sausage is made. And when the Draymond thing gets out, that's why everybody has a reaction because everybody knows that the public doesn't truly understand how pro sports work. Like there's, an, there's like kind of a, uh, yeah, this is different from my life. And I think that's what attracts us to pro sports. It's different from our jobs, our lives. But there's there's not a true understanding of what Draymond Green is like every single day at work. We kind of know he's a dick, kind <laughs> of, from what we get to see on TV and how he talks about Kendrick Perkins on his podcast. But we don't really know how Draymond behaves every day at work with his superiors, with his colleagues, with his subordinates. And then so when a piece of it gets out, yeah, I'm shocked. <laughs> yeah. Because they 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 hold these things very close to the vest. And what I'm realizing, Bo, I know I'm droning on and on. What I'm realizing and what I've learned from this Draymond Green thing that I said on Ethan's pod, I used to think that it was BS when public figures or prominent people would say, well, we can't let the public know this. We have to protect the innocence. I used to think that was crap. And then this Draymond Green thing happened. I was like, no, the public, they, they can't <laughs> handle the truth. They, no. they really they really can't. I think what makes it so interesting for me is that if you got 15 guys on a roster, I'd say six or seven of them have spent their lives being told that they're irreplaceable, right? <sighs> That's a, that's a general like, like that's a minimum. Yeah, it's a minimum, right? Yep. Then you got five other guys who didn't need nobody to tell them that they are irreplaceable, even though 
they can probably be replaced, right? Mm-hmm. And then you got a couple uh, from the mud. I done played yeah. in them consonant countries who recognize all the scrapping and everything that they have to do to like keep it together and make it happen. But there is no other world where everybody has a legitimate reason to believe that the sun shines and he rises and sets right on their asses. Like, I understand why every single one of them thinks that, that some grown person been able to make money off of them all the way up, right? And so you believe that there's a certain way that you can kick it and things that you can get away with. What makes Draymond so interesting is that he's not one of those guys, right? Yeah. Like, he's the dude that came up chubby. He's the one that went to Michigan State and turned himself into a player. And I would say is getting a higher return on his talent than any player in the NBA. Nobody has done more with what they have in the NBA than Draymond. And so his thing wound up being less about the sort of entitlement that we think about than it's slipping away from me, and I see it every single day. Like, they can say that this wasn't about the money. It might not have been about the money that day. But I don't think there's a single. <laughs> what day is there that he gonna pull up to work and it ain't about the money? What what day have you ever pulled up to your job and it wasn't about the money? So I'll say this about Draymond too, um, and people around the Warriors will tell you this: he is a master operator in understanding who matters. He understands he has to grease the wheels with Lakeup. He understands he has to grease the wheels with Bob Myers. He understands that he needs to make Steph Curry his best friend. It's my belief that the clutch thing is Draymond understanding these are people with influence and I need to be in good t- on good terms with them. Right. Like LeBron and Maverick and all of them. He understands, oh, I want to get in media. Inside. I got to get in good with the inside guys. This is who I'm going to be with to make sure I get a prominent job in media. He's extremely self-aware when it comes to who has the status, who has the power, and who doesn't. Like, Ask anybody who works in or around the Golden State Warriors situation since Draymond Green has been there. He treats Steph like he is the crown prince. This is the guy whose coat I need to hold. Mm -hmm. This is the guy who I need to make sure everybody knows he's my guy and I'm his guy. He would, people ask like, what if he would have did that to Steph? He never would (laughs) have. That could never, (laughs) ever, ever happen. Draymond is acutely aware of his own status. And that's why when you say he could feel it slipping, I believe that. Because he's acutely aware of who has the status and why he needs to cozy up to them. It's not that Draymond Green should get an extension this offseason, right? Like the way that he went to the team and asked for one. It's his understanding that like if I'm somebody who matters within this organization, people are going to feel like I should be taken care of. Whether it should or needs to or not, if I have status, everybody who matters around here is going to be like, no, no, no. Draymond, he's one of the guys. He's one of the core, as the Yankees used to call Mariano, Jeter, yeah. Pettit, and them, the core four. He's one of the core four. Yeah, 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 we got it. And it was like, nah, you got a deal that I think is like two years still. Nah, you good. And then when he sees the way they're like, no, we don't even dictate terms to Jordan Poole. We got to see what the market sets 
for Jordan Poole. If you're a guy who's been there for as long as he's been and you've been a part of instrumental too, it's easy for people to forget Bo and you and I have been watching the NBA long enough to, to still understand this. The Warriors have not mattered. For 30 years, then Steph, Draymond, and Klay Thompson showed up and everything changed. So if you're Draymond and you were part of that, changing everything that this franchise is known for, making it so that, Bo, it's a franchise that can move from Oakland to San Francisco, legitimately, I can understand why he he would feel like he, you know, he deserves some stuff. But sports is a cruel, cruel world, man. Unless you are a real superstar caliber player like Steph Curry, they not going to pay you for what you did. They're going to pay you for what you're going to do because that's how contracts work. That check is being paid in real time for what you're actually going to provide. With Steph, Steph worth so much money that, cool, you got it. Here's two hundred, you know. Here's four years, two hundred million dollars. I don't know what that deal gonna look like in four years, by the way. But you say, yeah. hey, okay, we gonna do this. You're Steph Curry. Unfortunately, you are Draymond Green, and and someone who's gonna learn this also. You are Clay Thompson, and it's gonna be hard for both of them when they realize, like, thanks for the memories, dog. But you know, War's gonna look at Clay and be like, dog, we maxed you out on a bum wheel. Say thank you. Yeah, and if you've listened to. Just pay attention to what Lakeup says publicly. Um, he's not sentimental about what they've accomplished. He has a CEO's mindset, a growth mentality. Oh, we won? We got to keep winning. Yes. <laughs> we, we, we have to expand the winning. We're not going <laughs> to be content with the amount of winning that we have, even if it's fed all of our families for generations. No, winning has to go more bigger we have to grow the pie as they say bo man people gotta go back and remember before steph signed the 200 million dollar deal Lakeup was talking crazy <laughs> in the press i don't know maybe I don't, yeah steph might be worth the max extent i don't know is he we gotta see we'll cross that bridge when we get there go look back at what Lakeup was saying about steph curry <laughs> Wardell Curry was he was talking greasy about that dude until ultimately everybody understood when it was time to put pen to paper when Steph could le- legitimately be like guys I have like 90 other offers I don't have to be here to get this money everybody was like no 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 no, Steph yeah yeah here's the money but <laughs> just go look back at the statements that Lakeup the guy who ultimately decides who gets the money and who doesn't what he was saying about Steph so <laughs> <laughs> Think about who Draymond Green is and what he applies to Draymond Green. Hold on. The dude who stood on the stage after a championship and gave props to the front office for all those good deals they signed, a.k.a. Oh all these underpaid Achieve. players. Like, I, I have to say this for Joe Lacob, right? Because my introduction to Joe Lacob was what I still consider to be for Joe Lacob, a terrible look, which is him sitting front row during the 2014 NBA playoffs looking at Mark Jackson like he just wanted to take off on him at any moment, right? Like that thing had gotten so toxic. And then they fired him. And to your point about them being so bad, the idea that the Warriors were firing a 50-win coach seemed absurd, right? Like everybody would be like, oh, man, I thought if they got a better coach, they could go somewhere. But nobody thought they were going to go where they were, right? Mm -hmm. And so Joe Lacob then says, I'm hiring Steve Kerr. Well, how'd you get to know Steve Kerr? Playing golf. Bruh, I'm looking at all of this like, 
and, and see, and this is why in, in my travels, I don't remember exactly what I said in 2014, but I have gotten to the, you have to understand what it looks like as opposed to, look at these white folks. Like, like, yeah, you, <laughs> like you gotta be, and the reason you gotta be careful is you might look up eight years and four rings later, yeah, right? Yeah. Like, I don't know if Joe Lacob knew that that was what it was, but he was like, I'm willing to do this. I'm willing to do that. I'm willing to do all of this. And this cat wouldn't take us up on it. And I'm like, yeah, whatever you say, dog. Oh, well, you know what? Maybe Joe Lacob, you might be on to something. Problem is, he be talking crazy, right? Yeah. But not the kind of crazy that'll get you fired or lose your team or nothing. Just like, why did you say that? He's of that Silicon Valley mindset. Um, and you guys can look up what those guys believe and think about labor, think about what they consider to be winning. I don't need to get into it on here, but he's completely of that culture. Right. And so he applies that sensibility to this team. And again, just again, I want to remind people they were trying to front on Stephen Curry before he got his deal. <laughs> so Draymond Green, I I don't even want to know what Lakeup said to Rich Paul and them when they tried to be like, hey, yo, let's, you know, let's let's re-up. You know, we just did the championship. We know Draymond had a shaky finals to start, but the last three games, the guy was excellent. Um, he's part of what makes this team special. Yeah, let's take it. Nah, you good. You got two years. Yeah, talk to me. Talk to me in two years. <laughs> we'll say, hey, that bridge you're talking about, we haven't crossed it. Spring is the best time to add new challenges to your training, just in time for summer and warmer days. I've been in the gym a little bit trying to get my fitness in check so I can break these skinny allegations I keep getting. And spring is the best time of the year to take a new look at your fitness routine, dial it up a notch, and continue powering off. Peloton has everything you need to get you where you're going. Whether you prefer to run outdoors, row, or ride at home, or strength train at the gym, Peloton has something for you. Peloton's varying class lengths were designed with your training plan in mind. Personalize your workout. Whether you'd like to add a 10-minute core session at the end of your strength class or take a 60-minute power zone ride to increase your endurance. Peloton classes are designed to help focus on your needs and goals while challenging yourself at every level. Now you can catch up on your favorite NBA games with NBA League Pass while you push yourself to new levels of fitness. Watch your favorite games and win your workouts with NBA League Pass on Peloton and visit OnePeloton.com. Peloton all-access membership and NBA League Pass subscription required. Hey, let me ask you a what if, because I kind of hate that this story happened to the Warriors. What if it happened with the Nets? Oh, my God. Yo, like, nobody, the Nets, the Nets needed to thank Robert Sarver and Ime Udoka so much for making their media day easy. And now, somehow, they don't even look like the Chemistry Chaos All-Stars anymore because this Draymond thing happened. But we are still going to get this net season. And have you looked at their early schedule? Uh, they could very easily start like three and four. and It could get hilarious real quick over there. It's, it's already hilarious. I, I watched a TikTok yesterday where they did some event at a, at a park somewhere in the New York area. And Ben Simmons took a jump shot and airballed it in the background of the video. It was just so cringe. And, like, that is looming over everything that they do. All of the chaos 
around Ben Simmons. But I, what I will say about Nets coverage, Bo, is that they're one of the rare teams that's a national team but not a Correct. local team. Correct. In that I care about the Nets. And, and obviously, I'm a New York City guy, but that's not what I care about. I just think they're a fascinating NBA story. But on the ground, nobody gives a damn. Like, it would be crazy. Like, this 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 would be on every single WFAN. Of course, well, MSG would ignore it because mm-hmm. yes. <laughs> MSG. But, like, everybody in at the Post, at the Daily News, everybody would be covering what's happening in and around the Nets in a way, if it was the Knicks. And because it's the Nets, it's just us. People who understand the NBA produces incredible stories no matter what are like, yo, this Nets thing is crazy. But on the ground, I, I think it, it lessens the effect of how ridiculous that's it. He asked Steve, he wanted Steve Kerr to get fired. Yes. Yes. And now they just kicking it. Like the GM out of here. He told the owner, like, yo, get me to some better place. Like the coach, the guy who's coaching this team, he asked to be fired publicly. They made that public. Yes. This isn't rumors or conjectures. Like, no, I, I did. Yo. I, I wanted them out. And this is, again, the NBA being different because of the irreplaceability factor. Because, look, once you ask for your boss to be replaced, one of y'all is going to be replaced. Yeah. Generally yes. speaking. Like, like <laughs> and if nothing else, that person will not be your boss, right? Maybe you yes. still work there. Maybe you don't. But that person will not be your boss. See, I think there's an interesting thing about them with the local national part in living here now, I guess, for five years and change. What's different about the Nets than, say, the Mets, who I think are probably the best comparison, you know, in the New York market. If the Mets are rolling. Oh, my God. New York City, not the whole city, right? Like, Yankees fans aren't going to stop being Yankees fans. But New York City will be about the Mets. Like, as the Mets got this thing rolling this year, you see that, and there's the emotion, and there's the attachment that comes to it. I don't know if the Nets could pull that off if they went 82-0. and I'm not convinced of that. So, the only time people are going to show up for the Nets in the city is basically going FAN is, I hate the NBA guy, letting you know that he hates the NBA and the Nets are the walking embodiment of why those people hate the NBA while also being the embodiment of why people like me and you love the NBA. (laughs) Like Kyrie Irving, as frustrating and ridiculous as I find him to be, oh man, this is going to be hilarious this year. Because it could be either Kyrie on a contract year or Kyrie with nothing to lose because none of us know what Kyrie Irving thinks is important. This could go in either direction. Kevin Durant, the most... Huh, player I can think of. <laughs> just like, oh, somebody looks, look at it and be like, huh, hadn't thought about it that way. Like, he makes you rethink what stardom is, what yeah. basketball is, what a seven footer yeah. is, like all yeah. of this, um, without like being the most compelling personality himself. But he's, he's just, not a person. You know the thing about KD? He's not a personality, but he's a very thoughtful guy. Yes. He is so thoughtful. He, he, he really spends time thinking about his own existence and what the game means. Like he is a really thoughtful person. Yeah. If not, again, like you said, the most compelling personality. Like I, you know, I don't know that I want to read a book about Kevin Durant. Um, but listening, watching him 
perform NBA stardom is interesting to me because he's do he does it in a way that's not like anybody I've ever seen before. Right. And of course, there's the part of his game that is just you know magnetic and electric. And then you know, like Kyrie, man. I'll just say this as as somebody who grew up in New York City has a lot of family from New Jersey. Um, this is a weird relationship that we have with New Jersey. I was about to say it's about to be Jersey slander. It, Jersey yeah, slander yeah, all yeah, the way. Yeah. Kyrie, because because I feel like there's two kinds of New Jersey guys. There are guys who are from places like Newark and Elizabeth, and you know some of these different and Patterson, um, which is what Lean on Me is based on. There are those Jersey guys, black people, and then there's suburban. <laughs> Jersey people, y'all can figure out which one Kyrie is a part of. And and so everything he does, I view through that lens of that specific kind of New Jersey black person. Well, I, I also think that there's there are levels on which Kyrie is very, very difficult for white people to understand because they haven't met one of these before. And <sighs> you and I have met zillions of these before like i say once i saw the onk earring i was like oh there's no turning back like it's not an onk tattoo it's not on a chain it is an earring i think it was two of them and like at that moment that's where i was like oh this he's this guy is a very particular archetype that he is on so so bo um i'm so happy i could talk to you about this (laughs) um he's hitting on two Two arrogances that don't always come together that I think is special. He's doing the, you know, the onk earring, the, and let's call it enlightenment stuff. Yes. I'm enlightened. I know things that, yes. or I think I know things that most people don't know. But he's combining that with the arrogance that come with white people have been calling you articulate your whole life. And you believe them? Yes. He's combining those two things. And for people who don't understand, because like when I was a kid, like my white teachers thought I was smart and you know, they wanted to get me to Regis, Pablo's high school, by the way, mm-hmm. which for people who don't know is like a school that literally breeds you for the Ivy League. Right? Like white people were like, oh my God, he knows these words. And my mom was convinced that I was gonna become like a rocket scientist or some crazy, like, oh, this guy, this kid's a genius, clearly. These white people think he's smart. <laughs> it was just that I knew words very early. That, that's literally it. Like, I'm trash at science. I was pretty good at math, whatever. But I know what it's like to have that happen where people are telling you that you're gifted, that you're this, that you're that. But I never really felt that way myself inside. I never felt special. So this just felt like people talking. I think Kyrie has had that happen to him his whole life. People have been telling him he's gifted and he's special and he really believes it. No, He truly feels it. And now he's doing this, you know, (laughs) black people are the first Israelites. And it's like, yo, this is the arrogance that comes with those two things. Like, I don't think people understand, you know, what's going on. And and the part about being an NBA player, again, that people, this ain't like your job. Like, there's not a lot of people at your job who, since they were basically 11, people understood that they could get money out of making this guy feel good. Yes. There was money in it. 
You know, not just like, oh, I like being around him. Oh, like he, you know, girls like to be here or this likes to be here or some of these sort of ancillary benefits of being an NBA star. Like I could get money out of making this guy feel good. Yeah. And Kyrie is all of that. All of the, like, the reason why you can't understand what he's saying is because that's what he's been surrounded by his whole life. Just people telling him, yo, don't stink, Kyrie. You are special. You're not like these others. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You're special. <laughs> and now he's leaned all the way into a particular wing of the black, which makes oh, it interesting. Because I got, I got two resentments on Kyrie, right? Mm. Um, both personal, I admit, right? One is I don't deal well with people. Look, if you go tell me you smarter than me, you better be right. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> like, I don't, I readily acknowledge. Like, if you are right, and there are plenty of people who are, right? <laughs> if you are right, we cool. Yeah. If we are not, I have been told that I was pretty damn special myself. And I feel like I've shown and proved. Like you, <laughs> and, and I feel like I'm not trying to flex on y'all about it in a sense of comparative. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. So that's one. Number two, I just can't believe that hairline was wasted on that mother. <laughs> like like when, you, when, when, when every time I look up, and I see him, right? Like when I see my man Michael Smith and he got his hairline, maybe it's all good, man. Mike, a great dude. You know what I mean? Couldn't happen to a better guy. I'm all on board with that. I look at Kyrie and I see that hairline. I'm like, what kind of bull is this? Like, 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 yeah, it, it is full on, full on resentment. I just can't, I just can't figure out how. Yeah, yeah, that bothers me. But before we get out of here, I asked you about this before we got off. Hold on. Before you go, I do want to say this yeah. last thing about Kyrie, just because he does have, like, the most... Have you encountered the Kyrie people on the internet? They're, I avoid. They, they're kind of crazy. I will say this. I've talked to multiple people who have worked with Kyrie closely, and they all are believers. Like, people who... There's people who come in close contact with Kyrie who think the world of him. So I'll yeah. say that for him. You know, like there are true That's believers. an important point. You know, like people really love the guy. Like uh, whatever, I'm not close to it. I see all the things that he does. Um, you know, I tell people all the time like, well, if Kyrie's so articulate, how can we never understand what he's talking about? <laughs> <laughs> like like Whatever, but people do. There are people who really who are, who've been close to him, were close to him, and truly believe in the guy. And so I'll, that's all I'll say about. Yeah, that. he got a Tupac quality to him in the sense that he is able to connect his intentions. He can connect his intentions with people, and I think that a certain class of people who will be older than him are kind of rooting for him, right? Like it's like, oh man, he's just figured it out. Cause he means well, all mm -hmm. of that stuff, right? Like I don't he have time is. For it though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I'm like, look, you're 30 now. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like I can't, I can't do this. But I found out you, you Jets fan. Um, yes. I didn't yeah. realize till I got to New York just how many of y'all there were. Like the oh class dynamics and everything else that come yeah. with Jets fandom. Um, but I was talking to Rich Eisen yesterday. Like I said, man, he had some optimism about the Jets. I was, I was hoping that you would be in the same I, place. I'm, I'm not that Jets guy. I'm not that Jets guy. I, I lived through Glenn Foley. Like, people, NFL fans don't know who Glenn Foley is. He was, like, literally out of training camp, the New York Jets starting quarterback, which was an absurdity at the time. And he wasn't really that bad, to be, to be honest. Um, I come out of Neil O'Donnell. 
<laughs> I come out of there was once a Jets game where the two active quarterbacks got hurt and Tom Tupa, the punter, had to play quarterback. I come out of the butt fumble. I come out I come out of that. I come out of by the way, why am I a Jets fan? Um Keyshawn Johnson. Uh when he got drafted, he was just the most brash, confident. I had never really encountered an athlete like Keyshawn Johnson before. Mm -hmm. I was really young and really impressionable. After his rookie year, he put out a book called Just Give Me the Damn Ball, in which he called Wayne Krebet the Jets mascot. Wayne Krebet was his teammate. Yes. He was making a racial commentary, a class commentary, <laughs> in his book one year after being drafted. Like, I was like, this. I have to root for this. <laughs> and it was Bill Parcells, and it was all of that. And, you know, uh, th that Keyshawn Johnson cursed me to be a Jets fan, but I've done this long enough to know, do not get excited about the Jets. <laughs> Don't do it. Don't do it. Y'all better, y'all better, they, the Jets got to get to, four, like, six and two. Mm -hmm. You know, they got to get to seven and two. It's like, okay, this is a real team. They've played nine NFL games. <laughs> and this is a real team. I, I don't know. I'm, I'm not doing this. Zach Wilson. I remember, yo. Mina is one of the people whose NFL commentary I pay attention to. Um, and I remember Mina was, well, first of all, Mina bigged up our last two quarterbacks. Mm -hmm. Sam Darnold, Mina was like, yes. <laughs> Mina got me hyped because she's a trusted source. I know she it, does do the you. work. I know she cares about the NFL. She's enthusiastic about it. Mina's like, nah, I like Sam Darnold. He got the tools. Like, this guy could, he could probably do something. I was like, Mina, are you sure? Nah, I really like the kid. He turned into Sam Darnold. <laughs> um, a lot of people enthusiastic about this Zach Wilson kid. And I was like, <clears throat> I'm not doing it. He got to show and prove. I like BYU. All that. I'm not, I can't do it. I'm not. I'm not that Jets fan. I'm eternally pessimistic. I've just been beaten down so badly <laughs> before. Um, I just. I just can't. And then, Bo, watching other teams acquire great quarterbacks and just knowing that will never happen for the New York Jets. <laughs> Like, I watched Josh Allen, and I'm like, that, that, that would just never happen to the Jets. <laughs> it just will, it, 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 it will, we will never draft Josh Allen. We will never, ever have a guy who's just like, yo, this guy can carry us through thick and thin. This guy can make stuff happen. It, it just, won't, I just know we won't ever achieve that. And so I don't even let myself get excited. I know that we've drafted very well. Um, <laughs> I don't go out of my way to watch Jets games. I'm not doing the, the like the NFL Sunday ticket mm -hmm. to watch the Jets. I see like there's good young talent and all of that, but I'm perpetually in a wait and see. I'm I'm not one of these Jets people. I I just I can't the the best Jets quarterback of my life, the best Jets quarterback season of my life is Vinny Testaverde. Yeah. When we went 12 and 4, we lost to the Broncos, eventual Super Bowl champs. And the best qu quarterback is Chad Pennington. Mm -hmm. Respect, Chad, like respect. <laughs> you are a respectable NFL quarterback. You are by far the best Jet quarterback of my life. It's not, there's no competition, Bo. Like, there's no, like, oh, well, what about those Ray Lucas seasons? No, like, <laughs> 
It's Chad Noodle Arm Pen Pennington. <laughs> That's what we're dealing with as Jets fans. You know, and it's funny because you're in the opposite place. I guess the Giants, they got those Super Bowls to lean back on because they yeah. barely win in these games. And they they treat that 4-1 like it's supposed to be a trophy uh, that come with it. <laughs> they getting hype about Daniel Jones like they, like they can't actually see. But let me tell you a funny Giants story that just happened. So their punter, uh, Jamie Gillian, you see he got, they went over there to London for the game. And he's Scottish and he had some mm. passport issue and now he can't come back. And that's got to be disappointing. Um, oh but anyway, gosh. he's stuck over there. But do you know the story on this dude? No, I do not. They call him the Scottish Hammer. And like he's averaging like 50 yards a punt or something like that. And I guess he did that thing where a he found out about a college and he decided to come and he didn't research it that tough before he did so. And that <laughs> college is the University of Arkansas at Pine Bluff. No. And I don't know how familiar <laughs> no. you are with the University of Arkansas at Pine Bluff and HBCU, the Arkansas HBCU, the Arkansas HBCU, oh, God. the Arkansas oh, HBCU. My God, and it dude. is in Pine Bluff, which for Arkansas is the Camden, New Jersey of Arkansas, Jesus the, the Kinston, North Carolina of Arkansas, oh the Youngstown, God. Ohio of Arkansas. You guys who know what I'm talking about know what I'm talking about. Of when I Arkansas. Bring, of Arkansas, of Arkansas. And Jeez. I bring all that up to say, just can you imagine getting off the plane, getting in the car, and yo, you are learning about America through the lens of Arkansas, through the lens of Pine Bluff, Arkansas, through the lens oh of the University of Arkansas at Pine Bluff. I, why did nobody start running the camera with him immediately? I want to know his the slang that he picked up. I want to <laughs> know the evolution of his accent. I want to know the girls he dated in college. I oh want to know all of it, right? Like, you live in California. Jesus. So I can tell you this and you'll relate to it. So when I moved to California for graduate school now, 20-something years ago, I thought I was going to L.A. <laughs> it was Southern California, and I'm from Houston with that sprawling metro area, and it's kind of yeah. it's all Houston, right? Yeah. I thought I was going to L.A. I landed in Ontario, but I'm not thinking oh. much about that. L.A. got a bunch of airports. Yeah. I looked up in the sky, and I was like, huh, it's not what I thought L.A. would be like. <laughs> I got to where I was going, which was Claremont. And oh brother, that was not L.A. Oh my God. All right. Oh. It's like if you hear about Florida and you think, oh, I'm going to Miami. No, 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 no. There's really only one of those. You're going to Florida. <laughs> so I don't know what concept this man had in his mind of America. Maybe he thought it was New York. Maybe he thought it was D.C. Maybe he thought it was Los Angeles. Maybe he thought it was Miami. But what he got was the real America. Pine it, Bluff, Arkansas. There is like... You know, as a New York City, city slicker, whatever, I've done enough traveling. Like, my, my people, like, my brother and my sister both live in GA now. Um, they live in, like, the suburbs of Atlanta, if you can even call Gwinnett County that. Um, it's like an exurb at this point. Yes. Uh, so you you kind of get a, a better understanding of the South. And then, you know, you, you grow up. And you, you know, you pay attention to stuff like politics and this, and, and you, you get a better understanding of a place like Arkansas and its relevance to, you know, the American concept. And then it's like, no, like, Arkansas is like, let's face it, it's f***ed up, yeah. <laughs> right? It's f***ed 
though. And that's 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 before we get to like little Little Rock is fed up. And Little Rock is the capital. It's like the the major metropolitan over council metropolitan over there. Little Rock is up. So if you're going to tell me they sent this man to the up part of Arkansas, like that is by degrees more up than Little Rock, Arkansas, and this guy is from Scotland. Yes, that that that's that's that that's not a movie. That is a, a Ken Burns documentary. <laughs> I that, bet he had a ball though. I nah, tell you this right course. now. I bet he had a ball. Like I want to know what homecoming was like for the first time with him. All of this, like, I just feel like the NFL press corps has really let us down because oh I gosh. ain't seen this story yet. I would love to see it. Also, I hope he get back home. Like, I don't think it's no Brittany Griner situation, but I, I do. Nah, hope. he gonna get back. I'm, I'm just imagining so much chitlins and and gold teeth. <laughs> yeah. And twerking, not the twerking, not Miley Cyrus twerking, y'all. No, <laughs> no, 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 twerking. Also, I can only imagine the wildly insensitive questions that he received <laughs> about his home from uh, from the locals. Like we we're capable of that too, right? I would love to know what kind of things where he's like, you know, it, it we are people, you know what I mean? Like <laughs> the, the cultural exchange, man. I did not know about this dude. I'm I'm interested in looking this up because that is the kind of thing that like yeah, people just can't understand because we do I think I always say like our best export at this point, like the only thing that we do sell pretty well now is culture, um, movies, music, whatever, TV shows like that travels well outside of this country. That stuff that we make here. And so there's a, you can get a certain perception of America if that's all you're consuming of America. Yes. Right. Like if you're just like, no. Nah, I've seen, you know, the Sopranos. I've I've, I've, <laughs> I've I've seen Top Gun. Like I got a pretty good handle on America. And then you go to Arkansas where oh Lord. Nah, man, there's like five different Americas. Like it's just hard. I was talking a joke about two Americas. <laughs> but like when you think about it, yeah. A six hour flight, you can do a six hour flight in the United States and mm -hmm. still be I mean, you can do a twelve hour flight and still be in the United States yeah. if you want to count like Hawaii and stuff. But yeah. continental US, you can do a six hour flight. And still be in America. You do a six-hour flight in Europe. You don't hopped over how many different countries, yeah. how many different seasons, how many everything. Don't yeah. forget, we took a whole lot of this from other people, right? Yeah. So they had some stuff that was going on before we even showed up and put all this concrete down and everything else. Like America can mean so many things. And my man, why would you even think there were black colleges? It's the 21st century, after yeah. all. Like, oh like why? God. Why would you the imagine you of it all is just. I that is a fascinating just story, bro. Cause yeah. and shout out to him, by the way, right? Yeah, you still, uh, they, you still got enough. Well, so you still got enough white folks in America that won't go north of 110th Street. Like, oh the, like, like we have to acknowledge doing four years of that. Not everybody would. I wouldn't. <laughs> I'll tell you that right now, like, bro, I would have figured something else out. But I guess when you're a punter, it's not like you can just hit the transfer portal and be like. Uh, does anybody need the services of a punter? Oh, no, but you the thing is, especially with the way he was punting, 
He could have. I think mm. he got there and liked to get down. He was kind of so like, yo, I've never like it. I've never had food that was seasoned like this before. You <laughs> know what I'm fact. saying? Like took Comes a little trip to Dallas, probably had a good time. It ain't that far away. You know, go check out a little St. Louis. Have um, you ever spent any time in Arkansas, Bo? A little, but not a lot. I've 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 made it through there. It is hard scrabble. <laughs> look the thing about arkansas is it ain't even really close to nothing and if you need to know <laughs> if you talk to somebody from memphis tennessee about west memphis arkansas and what you thought was the country's person you would ever met is telling you about how you don't know country till you get to west memphis arkansas oh god that is that's like that's that's the indication that you need like that's the that's the hint that you're getting here man it is it is like I say, it's not close to anything. That's the hardest thing. It's not like close people to like yo, why can't Arkansas be better at close football? to some other major, uh-uh. you know, thing that's happening in that region. And and I, you know, sometimes like I, I'm 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 as I'm getting older, I'm shedding my my coastal elitism. Thank you. And and my mentality about being like you know, there's certain <laughs> that I don't need to participate in. But blah blah blah. But like, I'm never going to Mississippi. I'm just not. No I, no I, no I, no. I, you should um, go. Should I? You should go. Everybody needs to take a trip to Mississippi because you kind of got to see it. Like there's mm. a level like it's not like it ain't as terrible as people make it out to be per se. And there play you know places and pockets you can get to that are pretty cool and like the spots that are right around Memphis ain't so bad necessarily. But now everybody need to see the, the, the what they call that deep south. Everybody need to get their eyeballs on it because let me tell you what'll make a lot more sense to you football everything about the culture of football will make more sense to you once you go see like when cats is talking about they getting it from the mud ain't the mud ain't necessarily outside the mud might be the flow in the crib like it's a it's a different animal that is crazy to think that that like like, and that's why i'm just like you know you hear stuff like well it's you know it's the poorest state in the union right um there are things like the most impoverished place in New York is like East New York in New York City, you know, where it's like it's like kind of bad. Browns was like pretty bad. You know what I'm mm-hmm. saying? Like in the summertime, you might see a baby with a diaper on with no parent around just walking down the street in Brownsville. Like that's a thing that might happen. And that's like as, as bad as it gets in New York City. But like you can't compare poverty in New York City to poverty in other places in our country. Yeah. Like it's just. The difference with the New York poverty that is striking to me as somebody from the South who had more familiarity with the poverty that you're talking about is the poverty being vertical. You know what I mean? Like stacked all on top of each other and all like packed close tight in that way. Basically, man, the real metric is any place you go, how many people ain't got no shirts on? And then it steps up to how many people just have all undershirts. And then how many people simply have white T-shirts? You can know a lot about what a whole place is. But when you get out there, like you get out there driving the streets in New Orleans, you see them boys with no shirts on and a whole bunch of tattoos you can barely read. Like, it's just like, hey, 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 okay. Like, this is this is yeah. the stack up that uh that you wind up having. But no, I'm a, I'm a defender of the dignity of the folks down there. Because, you know, hey, man. They us, you know. What yeah, I'm no, no, no. But I but I also never... feel like but I also feel like in line with that, what you say though is something that Haitians in Miami will often say about mm-hmm. like, look, I hear what you're saying about this US poverty. Really, I promise. I hear what you talk about. <laughs> but uh no. I'm not moved. I'm not. No, it's it's it is it, by degrees uh a worse and I've been to Haiti. You know what I'm saying? So it's not even it's just like what what like what time would I have off or like 
what would I be doing that would take me to, you know, rural Mississippi? Like what? Like yeah, it's not. It's not coming up. You're right. That's fair. That's you fair. know what I mean? Like I got off from work. Um, <laughs> I I have some money to spend to to take me out of my city and my place of comfort. You know, normally you want to might want to spend some time with some loved ones, whether it be a <laughs> mate or just people in your family that you love. Like, what's gonna take me to Mississippi? I don't, I don't, I don't have a counter argument. Uh, or Arkansas, like I don't think I'm ever gonna see the deep. I'm America's deep south. Like I don't, I don't. Yeah, you'd have to consciously do it. You'd I'd have, have to, to do it. And I, and see, I got that kind of daddy. You need to, you need, you need to see what the man has wrought. <laughs> you need to see what they done did it to us. And Bo, by the way, he was right. Bo, um, as you know, I'm a huge fan of your show. I love it. It's my favorite. I um, appreciate it. Anytime y'all come up on my app, I'm gonna watch. And like your dad is is sort of a character of your show, right? Just like um how you impress upon people, like this guy left an impression on you. Like your dad, you're your dad's son. Not to say you're not your mom's son too, but like your dad has had an influence on the person you've become. Yeah. Um, have you ever thought about bringing your dad on your show? Yeah, no, he's not as great with cameras and microphones. Like mm -hmm. it kind of, it kind of locks him up. Like we can't, we can't get the best. You got to get the secret, the hidden microphone on my pops, <laughs> uh, and that's where you get the best. But I will tell you this: this is the the most telling thing about my father. It was an interview I found online that he had done, and I rap with this, and this is what I realized: like sometimes you need people to kind of to see things to keep you humble and make you realize that everybody on Twitter think they about the revolution. You know what I mean? <laughs> and get me started man. yeah and so my dad was uh expelled from college for participating in uh sit-ins at southern university in the early mm. 60s and he was asked what he learned from it and he said yeah you know what i learned is that you can't really trust like the black people who are in power and really the argument mm. was not a judgment of the black people it was just a recognition of how much power how they power did. works yep. right and actually and, but what he said was it took him a long time to get over it because he said look I grew up in a situation and I believed and I have been raised to believe that you do what you do and the consequences are what the consequences are. And he was like, and I grew up in times where things were legitimately dire, but for his pops is like, yo, if they go come shoot up the house over this, then I guess they just go come shoot up the house. Now, aren't they? And that's just what you do. I am not that gangster, sir. Right. Like I think, you know, like as it's gone, you know, you learn some things get tempered. You know what I mean? You figure out that there's different things. You're a family man. You got other people to look out for or whatever it is. But I read stuff that my pops had said and did. And I was just like, oh, OK, all you cats on the net need to fall back. I can introduce you to some gangsters. You know what I'm saying? Like I can introduce you not the gangsters that's robbing you on the street, the gangsters that were fighting the federal government the state government the local government yeah. i can introduce you to them and man they are so much harder than <laughs> any of us any of us uh. like like that's the thing and that's why i learned so like people are like yo how do you feel good about you know you say what you think or what you feel on here i'm like oh baby this is come nothing. on like you come really on. believe that what i'm out here doing is that noteworthy like i'm not saying that you a sucker but i'm just <laughs> saying that like I ain't, I ain't it, and I got no problem telling you that I yeah. ain't it, cause I synced it, dog. I synced it. Yeah, just being a black person who means what you say is like, uh, 
is a threatening act <laughs> to yes. some people. And it's just like, man, these brothers back in the days, man, these li- these guys were literally willing to die about some <laughs> I don't know what I'm willing to die about, you know, um, Kyrie Irving takes. I, I no. just don't think so. <laughs> no. And, by the, and not that people haven't been willing to kill us over. I'm just not willing to die for. But, man. That's big Waz, my man. I'm glad we got you onto the show. I don't know how I waited so long to get, though I know how it was, is that I typically don't trouble you West Coasters. So I appreciate you waking yeah, up, getting in and making this happen, man. Tell the people where they can find you. Uh, yeah, just check out theringer.com. Um, check out our NBA coverage, Weekends with Waz on the podcast network, uh, group chat with my man Justin Verrier and Rob Mahoney. Um, and yeah, just follow me, Big Wise, on, on Twitter, Instagram. Um, I generally post what I'm doing. I do other stuff, but you know, we don't we don't want to we don't want to poison the minds. We don't want to propagandize the minds on these ESPN airwaves, <laughs> Bobani. But yeah, just follow me on Twitter. All right, man, ladies and gentlemen, thanks so much for joining us here on the right time. Thanks for joining us on YouTube. We do this three times a week. Dan Stanchik and Adi Khan handling everything today behind the scenes. Thank you, gentlemen. Remember, follow the right time. Rate us, review us, give us five stars. You only give us four stars. I'm inclined to believe you are a hater. And we'll talk to you guys in a couple of days. Take it easy. Thanks for checking out The Right Time with Bomani Jones Podcast. You can listen or follow on the ESPN app or wherever you listen to podcasts. The Right Time with Bomani Jones.